The Craig Folley Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. This is the Craig Folley Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for joining me on this Monday. And if you're like me, uh, you spent the weekend taking a look at the Detroit Golf Club and the Quicken Loans Classic. Of course, the first ever, well, the Rocket Mortgage Classic, actually. The first ever tournament played within the city limits of Detroit. Uh, for those of us that follow golf, we know that, of course, Oakland Hills has hosted many prestigious events. and uh, But we have not seen the PGA Tour on a regular stop in Michigan since the uh, loss of the Buick Open up in Grand Blanc, Michigan. This is the first return in a long time. So far, the reviews are coming in that the course may have been a little bit too easy, but uh, ticket sales were brisk, and it seems to have been a successful inaugural event for the city of Detroit. But there's a lot that's going to go into replicating that success next year. Some changes may have to be made to the course and a lot of other things. But nobody that I know of is better to talk to about the business of sports than my friend Bill Shea, who, of course, you know from his many years at Crane's Detroit Business, where he has been sort of creating that beat, looking at the business of sports. Now he has moved on to the athletic which we'll talk about a little bit as well. But, Bill, welcome back to the program. It's always a pleasure. Always nice to be on. Well, you know, again, this tournament did not draw the big names, I guess, that the organizers had hoped. You don't have Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods in the field. That tends to dampen enthusiasm. Um, But I think the fact that this was an inaugural event in Detroit meant that people were going to show up no matter what. And it certainly seems as if they did okay on that front. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. They had, uh, you know, they sold out the weekend. They had big galleries. Uh, I, I think it's right that, number one, there was the curiosity because this is our, our first regular PGA Tour stop in Michigan since uh, the Buick Open ended in 2009, which Tiger Woods won um, one of his three victories up there. And, um, and Michigan's a, a golf state. Uh, we have, I think, more golf courses than in any other state uh, in the United States, if I if I remember correctly. Um, and people are interested. Uh, you know, we've always had a bunch of LPGA tournaments, various one-off uh, PGA and senior PGA events. And um, it was great June weather. It was nice. Uh, it was hot, but it wasn't the muggy hot that, that we're going to be getting soon. Um, <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, it, it's Quicken and Rocket, um, you know, they, whatever you think of them, they spend money to put on a, a first class event and, and it was, it was nice. Well, you know, and of course the city loves, uh, loves a good comeback story here. Nate Lashley, who actually won the tournament, this, he was the last guy to qualify for the tournament. In fact, he probably wasn't even planning on being here without, uh, you know, uh, a lot of different things falling exactly the way they needed to. And he comes out and he leads wire to wire, which was an amazing performance for this guy that I don't think anybody had ever heard of, but I don't think anybody in Detroit that follows golf is going to forget this guy anytime soon. No, I, I think you're right. I think it was, you know, outside of a, a Tiger Woods coming in and winning or a Phil Mickelson or some other, you know, grand thing. I think this was the, the kind of cool story that, you know, people will remember and is, is notable. Um, it, it was something interesting 
that happened and, and it's really all you can ask for at the you know in an inaugural inaugural event like this uh, Bill Shea, my guest right now, of course, he is now a, a writer for The Athletic, covering sports and the business of sports for, really, I think you've got like the entire Midwest territory. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, but, you know, golf tournaments, uh, hosting a golf tournament is not the same as hosting, say, like a Super Bowl or something. There's not as much prep that needs to go into it. Uh, it's not going to bring in the same sort of spectacle that that hosting an event like that would or an all-star game or something. But at the same time, uh, it seems like there were a lot of things that had to come together to make this work just pulling this deal together in the first place was not easy for dan gilbert was it no um a, a variety of of dominoes had to fall for this to occur and i i talked to the the quick and loans folks a while back um and sort of how this thing was birthed and uh it was back in 2014 at&t's uh sponsorship of the national uh the the tiger woods PGA stop in suburban DC came to an end. Uh, Quicken stepped in to become the, the title sponsor and Quicken made it known to the PGA like, hey, we're going to do this, but our, our end game is to eventually have an event in Detroit, a, a full-fledged PGA tour stop in Detroit. Um, so that eventually worked out. Their, you know, Quicken, their sponsorship deal came to an end with the national. They agreed to do it one more year. Um, you know, the, the PGA was willing to, to, uh, you know, put a, a stop in, in Detroit, uh, you know, some time had opened up on the calendar, the, the PGA had, had juggled the calendar, moving the PGA championship from August, um, into, into May. Um, so that things got jerked around a bit and a spot opened up and, and they made it happen. Well, you know, it's interesting to me to see some of the the hand wringing that's been going on around this tournament. Um, you know, obviously bringing an event like this to the city, and if uh, you know, hopefully there'll be a repeat next year. It certainly looks like they will. They will have one based on what happened here this weekend. Um, but you know, everything is a, a devolves into a discussion about you know the so-called two Detroit's narrative. I mean, a lot of work went up to sprucing up the area around the Detroit Golf Club because there is a lot of uh, blight, especially in neighboring Highland Park on the other side of the golf course. There, uh, is this a fair thing to sort of criticize in that regard, uh, or is it just inevitable when it comes to a story like this? I, I think it's both. Um, you know, there's there's more than, than two Detroits. That's kind of been an ongoing narrative. There's many Detroits to many people, and there's many conversations that need to happen all concurrently. Um, but, you know, when you bring a PGA Tour event and the PGA and professional golf certainly has a, a lot of um, difficult history behind it, as as, you know, the golf club does. Too, I don't. I, I don't think they had their first African American members in, until uh, Coleman Young. 18, yeah, Col- Coleman Young um, in the eighties, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so you know, golf has a, a, a history that it's you know at, at times comes to grip with, and you know when you have an event like this in Detroit, um, where there are staggering differences in in um, you know the haves and the haves nots and, and the whys and all of the history that goes along with that. It's a conversation that's that's going to happen and should happen. Um, you know, people need to know the history and and why that history happened and where things are going in the future. And there certainly has progress has been made with uh, golf and and things like that. Um, but yeah, none of that conversation surprises me at all. I mean, golf by its very nature, though, uh, has always been played on these uh, pristine country clubs. You know, most of these are private clubs that uh, that these 
tournaments are played on. It's it's very rare that it's a public course, with the exception of, you know, a Beth Page Black or a, or a Pebble Beach, and and even those are out of the reach for the average person, even the well-to-do person in many instances. Um, was Detroit singled out in some sort of way uh, when it comes to golf in a way that other communities haven't been? I, I haven't heard a whole lot of conversation around exclusivity at country clubs, other than some of the kerfuffle around Augusta National. Um, I, I don't know that Detroit ever has been specifically, I mean, I think there were the instances of, you know, the, the clubs having to integrate, um, you know, uh, diversity, uh, racial and gender over the years. Augusta certainly was a national and international story because it's home of the masters. Um, whereas, you know, Detroit didn't have PGA tour stops. Um, you know, there have been a, a number of major events out at Oakland Hills. That's not in the city. That's up in Oakland County. Um, similar stories. Um, you know, I, I, off the top of my head, I, I'm not familiar with the their, uh, you know, diversification efforts over the years, but I imagine it's probably not dissimilar to other country clubs around the country. Um, but yeah, I mean, and golf in general, regardless of, of race and gender, it's been, you know, I think Caddyshack always summed it up you know, the best <laughs> with the, the snobs versus the slobs sort of thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more of a Carl Spackler than I am a Judge Smales, and that's kind of my lens on, on golf. And I like, to, I'm an absolutely terrible golfer. I'm a complete menace to the golf industry. Um, but I do like to play occasionally, um, you know, it's, you know, have a beer or whiskey or whatever and and go out and crash around in a cart. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it is symbolic of a lot of storylines in American life and wealth and wealth disparity. And, you know, is, you know, is it a good use of, of land and things like that? And, you know, these upper end courses are incredible. You know, even during the height of the recession, these courses, it was still, you know, 30, 40, $50,000 a year to, to be members of these things. And some of them got into some serious financial trouble, but not a lot of the elite courses have been closed or, or sold. Certainly not. Uh, my guest once again is Bill Shea. He is a writer for The Athletic. Um, Bill, you know, all right, let's, let's sort of focus a little bit on on what you've got going on now. Because, again, you, you've been a guest on this program, I don't know how many times, uh, talking about sports and the business of sports, among other things. You've actually turned this into a beat that you've now turned into a gig at The Athletic. Uh, why the change at this point in time? What was it about The Athletic that attracted you? You know, a couple of years ago, I, I wrote a piece at Cranes taking a look at the launch of their Detroit operation. Uh, it was one of their early markets they went into, and you know, I talked to ownership and and you know, various experts on the industry, and it was an intriguing business model. You know, this ad-free subscription model, which in some cases works and in some cases doesn't, depending on the industry. Um, and there has been certainly a lot of financial support for it. Um, and so they uh, they came calling not too long ago and said, hey, you know, we're going to launch a sports business law and media vertical. And they were interested in, in having me come work for them. And, you know, it was I grappled with that decision, you know, because I, you know, I spent 13 years at Cranes and it's great. I still think it's the best news outlet in the city. But, uh, you know, like you said, I spent a decade making the sports business beat into a unique beat that really nobody else was covering um, as, as the general interest in the business side of sports. The public has grown increasingly sophisticated in its understanding and in how the dollars and cents and the politics and culture uh, of things affect what happens on and off 
the field. People want to know about that sort of thing and the opportunities and opportunity, you know, a chance to do that full time specifically and, and not only for a local and regional, but a national audience. Well, with a level of sophistication and detail, though, that that you might not be afforded in a publication that isn't dedicated to to, you know, talking about athletics and sports. Um, so was, that's got to be somewhat exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it's I, I, the athletic, it's, you know, it's a consumer, it's a fan oriented site, but I can tell you that every CFO and CEO of every team in the United States is a subscriber. Um, you know, all the marketing folks are watching and a lot of the, you know, because it's, it's not your daily newspaper game coverage, which, you know, all the papers, especially in Detroit, everybody does a great job with their features and their game coverage, but the athletic kind of zigs where others are zagging and they take, you know, instead of the game story, you get the unique journalism you can't get elsewhere. And now with business coverage, hopefully the, the same thing. Well, we'll talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing specifically. I understand you've got like a, a territory that you're going to be dealing with, which is significantly larger than you've been dealing with now. Is there going to be a lot of travel in your future? Uh, yeah, um, you know, I'm still going to write about the Detroit stuff. I mean, there's already a great staff of the beat writers in in Detroit, and they they did a lot of the stuff. You know, I I don't have to worry as much about contracts and trades because the Detroit athletic folks have that stuff nailed down. Um, but the, uh, the the more pure business stories on what teams and leagues and facilities and uh, apparel to, you know, the whole gamut of, of business stuff in Detroit, the Midwest, but also, you know, I'm working on a lot of national stuff too. Um, you know, it doesn't have to just be a completely a Detroit Tigers story. And it'll be a, a broad cross of, of all types of sports and athletics you know i've got a lot of stuff i'm working on right now i did, I did the piece on uh, this past week on what it means when tiger woods doesn't attend an event like uh the rocket mortgage classic you know how much unrealized sponsorship value was there and it's in the, in the millions of dollars um that you don't get from not having that guy stalking the course uh, for, for four days um, so a little bit of a lot of cool, fun stuff like that. And it's not expensive. Uh, through today, there's still a 40% discount for subscribing, which makes it, I think, $2.99 a month. And I spend more than that in a week on Juicy Fruit Bubblegum. Um, so, and that, <laughs> you that's sound not like an exaggeration. A, you sound like a public radio host, Bill. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. But that's, that's uh, you know, that that's part of it. You know, our, our you know, we need to get paid for what we do. And Absolutely. it is it is remarkably inexpensive. And, you know, if you choose to subscribe, you're not just getting what I do and you get access to everything and without any advertising, you can, you get to pick and choose what, like, Hey, I'm only interested in the Tigers Alliance Pistons and, you know, the Red Wing or whatever teams you can pick the, the first stuff, primary stuff you see on the site and then, you know, daily emails. Um, but you get access to all of it. And they now cover the WNBA fantasy soccer MMA, um, there's video and podcast now. So it, it's really, I think, kind of supplanted like a Sports Illustrated in terms of the national coverage. Because you know, unfortunately, Sports Illustrated has been like a ping pong ball sure. um, with with ownership and, and who's doing what. Um, where I think the athletics kind of filling that void on the high end uh, national and local journalism is some really cool stuff. And they, you know, that's one of the reasons I jumped was there's some fantastic reporters and writers um, that are over at the athletic now from SI, ESPN, um, you know, all the major daily papers. And 
everybody and I couldn't find anybody to say anything bad about it. Everybody loves working there. Um, it's a good work-life balance for me too. So please well, subscribe. <laughs> well, congratulations. I mean, no, and, and look, I, I, I'm really rooting for the paid model to work. I think it's, I think it's vital to the future of, of journalism in general, not just sports, obviously, but I mean, look, we just lost another paper in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, and, and now there's a community that does not have a, a print voice out there for them. It's important stuff. So I, I'm really hoping it works out. I think people will flock to it. But once they start realizing that, you know, a couple of bucks of their, their money each month is not a whole lot. I, like I said, you sound like a public radio host. I made the same pitch every single year for 20 years. So I know <laughs> what you're talking about. But Bill, congratulations. Uh, we will look forward to talking to you in the future about uh, some of the pieces that you've got coming up uh, because you do have a unique approach and we always value your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.